Welcome to The Chris Rawl Show. Please remember to subscribe and download and leave this show a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to it on. Now, on to today's episode, where we talk about a very important thing, how elite quarterbacks play in the playoffs. Football is a team sport. I know, I'm leading with most revelatory, unknown thing I could possibly find today. But it's true. Football is a team sport. And many times I believe this to be forgotten. At the start of the NFL season, I recorded a show about things I was really intrigued by, especially when it came to the quarterback position about the upcoming season. And one of the things that I concentrated on first and foremost was the transition of Matthew Stafford moving from the Detroit Lions, where he had played since 2009, to the Los Angeles Rams. I spoke about how excited I was to watch somebody that I believe to be a very talented, very good quarterback go from a situation that is about as bad as you could have for a decade to a situation that is really strong, that has a lot of good things going for it on the offensive side, on the defensive side, on the coaching side. And as the season has gone along, and the playoffs has gone along, and now the Rams are sitting in the Super Bowl, ready to play the Bengals on Sunday. It's really been proof of concept of that simple truth that football is a team sport. And as much as we want to talk about quarterbacks and what makes you elite and what makes you a loser, the vast majority of the time, it just kind of boils down to what your situation is like. So this has been proof of concept. This Matt Stafford move from the Lions to the Rams. One of a million proof of concepts that we get every year, and I think most times we kind of choose to ignore. But it's interesting to take note of right now. And it kind of has made me think on a little bit deeper level about quarterbacking in the NFL. And especially the idea of what separates a normal quarterback or a losing quarterback from an elite quarterback, the thing that everybody craves that we're always talking about and glorifying. Now, earlier this week, I was watching the 2006 AFC Championship game. It was played in January of 2007. And I had it on as I was working. And then it was coming down to crunch time. It's a very good football game. And I got kind of sucked in and I watched the last four minutes or so of regulation with my full attention. And this was a very interesting game for a lot of reasons. This was between the Indianapolis Colts and the New England Patriots. It was at a time when the narratives were out of control on both sides of this matchup. We had Peyton Manning, the complete choker, who at the time had won two MVPs and no Super Bowls. And on the other side, we had Tom Brady, the ultimate winner who had no MVPs, but had won three Super Bowls. So there were contrasting storylines coming in. Manning trying to get over this hump that he had just failed to up until this point. Him and his team. Because football is a team sport, as we always need to remember. And the Colts fall down 21-3 in this game, and they come roaring back. And, and there was a play that I had forgotten about that really piqued my interest as I was re-watching it. Because the Colts are down three. There's under two minutes to go. And they're driving for what ends up being the go-ahead game-winning touchdown. And Manning hits Reggie Wayne on a crossing route. Big gainer. He's running. He gets down inside the 
20 yard line, you know, he's getting tackled in the red zone. And he fumbles the ball as he's getting hit and it pops straight up in the air, like kind of a movie-ish style scene. And he's getting dragged down by the defender backwards and the ball's just there up in the air and there's a bunch of defenders and Reggie Wayne. And somehow he ends up as he's being pulled to the ground, he grabs it back out of the air and gets tackled. And a couple plays later, Edron James runs in for a touchdown. Tom Brady throws a pick with 20 some odd seconds left on Indianapolis's side of the field. And the game is over. One of those plays, you know, as, as people who have been listening to this show for the last month, you know that I am fascinated by in how immense of a swing we can see in public perception and narrative based upon a play that really has nothing to do with the person whose narrative is writing upon the outcome. In this case, it's Peyton Manning, the choker, and that's absolved because they go on to beat the Chicago Bears in the Super Bowl and the great big monkey is pulled off of Peyton Manning's back. And now we can finally properly give him his due because he showed that he can win. And part of it was just because Reggie Wayne caught a ball that was fumbled in the air and brought it back down with him. This kind of stuff, you know, there's a million different swing plays that go on in these really tight games. And it's kind of shocking how differently we think depending upon who wins and who loses. Now, this ties into the discussion that I want to have about elite quarterbacks because Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, they are obviously two elite quarterbacks. I don't think anybody would argue that. And I want to bring a third quarterback into the discussion. Aaron Rodgers, my favorite player. And he was at the helm as the Packers lost to the Niners a couple weeks ago. Packers are obviously not of the playoffs. Um, and Aaron Rodgers is actually, by the time this is released, he may have clinched his fourth regular season MVP, which would make him one of two people in the history of the NFL to reach that parameter, the other being Peyton Manning. The same quarterback who carried a similar style mantle to Rodgers. Yeah, you're great. You're good. You're incredible in the regular season. However, when the going gets tough in the playoffs, you just don't have what it takes. You can't be as good as you were. So I made a mistake after the Packers lost to the Niners. In my great sadness, I was perusing the internet in hopes of finding things that would cheer me up. And after looking at various articles, no, that's not doing it, podcast, no, that's not doing it. I took a trip down Green Bay Packers Reddit. Because I thought, oh, all right, there's going to be some like-minded people here, and at least I'll be able to read and consume information that probably comes from a similar place that I come from, where I am feel like I'm endlessly defending Aaron Rodgers' accolades, which are as good as anybody's, because the Packers continually fail him as a football team. Now, much to my chagrin, I'm on Packers Reddit, and... Way more people than not are on the opposite side of me. They're going, ah, Rodgers just, he's a choker. He can't win. Elite quarterbacks never play like this. I keep hearing that. Common refrain. Elite quarterbacks never play like this. They cite his stats and they say, look at all these playoff losses with the Packers. And I mean, that's not as good of a game as Rodgers could have had. And that one's not. And, and that one he played good in, but they still lost. Okay, great. But this one and this one. They go down the list, and I keep hearing that same refrain. Elite quarterbacks never play like this. This is a separator between Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs 
and Aaron Rodgers in the regular season, much like we talked about with Peyton Manning, much like we've talked about with a lot of other really high-level quarterbacks because their team fell short in the playoffs. Now, I was already a little bit perplexed by the blowback from the Niners game because Aaron Rodgers did not have his best game, especially by his standards, far from it. But I didn't understand how the game wasn't treated with the nuance that I always think a football game should be treated if we are distilling one player's individual performance in the context of a team game. So Aaron Rodgers in that game, he's 20 for 29 for 225 yards. He has zero touchdowns. He has zero interceptions. He's sacked five times. He's pressured on 32% of his dropbacks in that game. The highest total that Rodgers faced in a game all season long. Now, this is tied into a very important point. He was playing behind a starting offensive line that was together for the very first time the entire season. Billy Turner, he comes back from injury. David Bakhtiari, their best lineman, he's not playing. Eldon Jenkins, their second best lineman, he's not playing, so they have to rearrange everybody. Billy Turner ends up starting at left tackle. Again, completely new starting combination. At a position group that everybody agrees the number one most important thing is continuity. So that's already something that I was nervous about going in and proved to be one of the many reasons that the Packers met their demise. You're looking for an individual play that represents Rodgers' biggest failure of the game. I would point to the final offensive play that the Packers had. Third in, I believe, 11. He makes up his mind. He's just bombing it deep to Devontae Adams. And he doesn't pay attention to the underneath crossing route, Alan Lazard. He makes his break, and he's wide open. If Rodgers is looking, he hits him for at least a 20-yard gain, first down. And instead, he goes, throws deep into double coverage, batted down. Niners get the ball back drive down, kick the game-winning field goal. So again, by no means a great performance. Rodgers, he didn't make any of the jaw-dropping throws. He didn't make any of these incredible plays that we know Rodgers can make. He just kind of managed the game. If I'm putting myself into his mind, I would say Rodgers saw the way the game was going, saw how good the Packers' defense was playing, and say, all right, we don't turn the ball over like Mercedes Lewis did on the second possession of the game. When the Packers were up 7-0 and driving to score more points, we're going to be in good shape. So that doesn't come to fruition because the Packers special teams unit just melts down. And so the Packers lose 13-10. The biggest play of the game is a block punt return for touchdown. And Rodgers is crucified by fans and by haters alike. You know, I'm on Packers Reddit, a place that I didn't think that this would be taking place on, and the majority of people are going... This, uh, he's just, he's just not cut out for it. It's another representation of something that I just can't ever get over, that the quarterback is always blamed for team failures. Whether that's fair or not, sometimes the quarterback deserves the blame. I would point to Titans against Bengals in this year's playoffs and the way that Ryan Tannehill played. And he threw three terrible picks, including the final one that set up Evan McPherson's game-winning field goal. And I would say the quarterback was the separator in this game. At the same time, There's a lot of stuff that goes into football games, and the vast majority of the time, I don't think it's as cut and dry as just saying, Ryan Tannehill was not good in that game, and that was the reason that this team lost. 
So now we get back to the reoccurring theme that I mentioned earlier. Forget Ryan Tannehill. We're here to talk about the elite quarterbacks. And we're here to talk about this idea that elite quarterbacks never play like this. You'd never see Tom Brady go 20 for 29 and throw for 225 yards and no touchdowns and no picks and get sacked five times and pressured on a third of his dropbacks. You'd never see that because he wins and he wills his team to victory. And my retort to this is always, you're 100% wrong. All elite quarterbacks play like this, all of them, every single one of them. Let's rewind to the last weekend that football occurred. And the quarterback that pretty much is consensus number one in everybody's mind, Patrick Mahomes, he has a complete meltdown in the second half in overtime. Plays atrociously. The worst half of football by EPA, expected points added, in the Mahomes-Reed era. The worst second half of football. And this is a week after Mahomes and Reed put together about as good of a performance as you could ever have against the Buffalo Bills. You know, just these polar opposite performances. So, Patrick Mahomes is capable of it. And he took some blowback, and rightfully so, because he was part of the reason that the Chiefs lost. However, there were still a bunch of swing plays that could have gone Kansas City's way, and we would have just forgot about it. Now, this is also a year after Mahomes gets a pass for his performance in the Super Bowl against the Buccaneers, and rightfully so, in my opinion. Let me be very clear. Because Mahomes was atrocious in that game, and he should have been. No quarterback would have been able to succeed in the position that he was in, because the man had no time to throw. He would drop back, and Buccaneers' defensive line was just there, and he'd run straight backwards and just throw a ball somewhere. And it was as ugly of a performance as you were going to see for a full game from the Kansas City Chiefs offense. So he gets a free pass, and that's good. That's how it should work. On the Kansas City side of the ball, I think most people were able to understand, ah, no quarterback could really succeed in that specific situation. But in my endless search to understand why people think the way they think. I'm always inserting this player into this situation and pulling this over here. And I do a lot of theoreticals in my mind. And one of the things I did after the Super Bowl and as these playoffs have gone on, is I move this quarterback in there and say, if all things were equal, and the Super Bowl occurred last year, there's a different quarterback behind that train wreck of a Kansas City offensive line. Let's just say, for the sake of this particular podcast, Aaron Rodgers. Do you think that people are talking about that performance in a similar manner? Now, I would say absolutely not. Because once you build up the reputation, again, fair or unfair, people are just unwilling to let go of it unless your team wins. Peyton Manning suffered it for his entire career. And the only thing that broke through was him as a corpse in his final season in Denver when the defense carried him every single game. Now, if Rodgers is there in that Super Bowl and he's running for his life in a similar way that he did against the Niners, again, remember that 33% pressure rate, an incredibly high percentage. Again, the highest he faced all season long. Do you think that people are talking about that performance the same way? I would say no, because I think that's the way that narrative and perception works within the realm of the NFL. Now, pick any quarterback in the history of the NFL. All of these elite quarterbacks, and I believe this to be true. What the public decides to do with the performance 
just comes down to what the team does around the quarterback. Football is a team game. Football is a team game. Football is a team game. Remember. Now, this leads me into the ultimate winner. And I say that in immense, immense air quotes. Tom Brady. And the point of the next few minutes is not to bash on Tom Brady. He's a very good quarterback. He's an elite quarterback. That's not up for debate. I'm never arguing against that particular point. But his legend, the man who wills his team to victory in a way that nobody else can, that I take a little bit of umbrage with because it is very dependent upon his surroundings in a way that is truly stunning to me. And there are two games from the past that I want to talk about today as we discuss this this simple sentence of that's not how elite quarterbacks play in the playoffs. Because if you're a good quarterback, you will your team to victory. And Aaron Rodgers doesn't have it. And Peyton Manning didn't have it. And Drew Brees didn't have it. And all these quarterbacks who've suffered some form of this particular critique. And Tom Brady is the one that everybody agrees now. He's, you know, the success is not up for debate. The individual winning success is not up for debate because he's won a trillion Super Bowls. He's got more Super Bowls by himself than any NFL franchise. Truly an astounding stat. But this kind of stuff deserves to be discussed with a little bit more nuance and understand what goes into these things. So there are two two games in particular I want to bring up. The first comes from New England's very first Super Bowl run in the 2001 season. And they're playing the AFC title game on the road against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh's huge favorites. They're 10-point favorites at the time. New England, heavy underdogs, obviously. They're just a grinded-out defensive team, and Brady's there as a complete game manager. Now, the Pats are up 7-3 to three in the second quarter. Okay, At the time, the only touchdown that has been scored by the New England Patriots was a punt return touchdown for Troy Brown. Remember that. Punt return touchdown. They're up 7-3, to three and Tom Brady gets injured. He's out for the rest of the game. So now their backs are against the wall even more so. However, they have the benefit of their backup quarterback being Drew Bledsoe, who was a really solid, at times, high-level starter in his own right throughout the course of his career. So Drew Bledsoe comes in, and he ends up helping the Patriots to a 24-17 victory. Now, their last touchdown in this game was a blocked field goal return for touchdown. Again, that's important to make note of. We have a 24-17 victory, two and a half quarters played with the backup quarterback, two touchdowns on the board from special teams. Now, this catapults them into the Super Bowl where they beat the Rams. Greatest show on turf. Credible game plan from Belichick to shut that offense down they have a defensive touchdown in that game i believe it's ty law who returns an interception for a touchdown just all of these things that accumulate that have nothing to do with the quarterback position now i look at the steelers game the safety title game and i see a scenario like that from the point of view of an aaron Rodgers fan and from the point of view of a person who is always talking about football as a team sport and all that i feel is an immense amount of envy 
because I've ridden the roller coaster with Aaron Rodgers in his career in those two very important areas that came to came into play in that AFC title game. Who's your backup quarterback and what is your special teams doing? And we've seen that over the course of Brady's career because the situation that he's been in has been as good as you could find in football. And so the Patriots, when Brady has been injured, whether in that game with Bledsoe or whether years later with Matt Castle, when they go 11-5 and in the season that Tom Brady blows his knee out in the first game of the season, or Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett when they're winning games when Brady's out. We've seen that occur. Who your backup quarterback is is important, first and foremost, because all four of those players, they're reasonable. Bledsoe, again, good, reasonable starter. Garoppolo, reasonable NFL starter. Brissett and Castle, they had their moments to be starters. I don't think they necessarily cut it in that area, but both really high-level backups. And that's an important piece that we don't care about until we care about it. Once your starting quarterback goes down, we go, I wish that we'd gotten a better backup quarterback. And the Patriots, they have not only that, but they have the framework around the position of quarterback. Where they go, all right, we're just going to rely on defense. We're going to rely on getting special teams touchdowns. We're going to rely on coaching and masterful game plans on the defensive side of the ball. We're just going to boa constrictor the hell out of this game rather than rely upon our quarterback to score us 30 points. And they have been able to do that for two decades. That, again, fills me with an immense amount of envy. Because I go back to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. And I look at the quarterbacks who've been forced into action when Rodgers has not been fit to start in his career. And it's Matt Flynn and Scott Tolzien and Seneca Wallace and Brett Hundley and Jordan Love. That is a poo-poo platter of quarterbacking talent. Needless to say, the Packers did not stay afloat when Aaron Rodgers was injured and unable to play the quarterback position. And that's just one of the many things that can go into Perception and narrative. You get injured and your backup comes in and wins a playoff game for you and you get to reap the benefits of that. And somehow that becomes a part of your story. And if you just get injured and your backup comes in and pisses their pants, then you don't even make the playoffs as has happened with Rodgers in seasons where he has gone down with injury. And we've had Flynn and Tolzien and Wallace and Hunley Coming in play. The other area from that AFC title game. As we talk about, this is not how elite quarterbacks play in the playoffs. And I always say, yes, they do. They all have games. All of them. Everyone. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, everybody. They all have games where they play poorly. And at that point, public perception is dependent entirely upon what your team does around you. And I see that special teams contributions in the AFC title game back in that 2001 season. And I go, oh man, I just would give anything for that. Two touchdowns in the AFC title game from your special teams. And then I look at the most recent playoff game for the Packers, the game that everybody agreed. Elite quarterbacks don't play like this. And I go, oh, hunt block return for touchdown. That's the swing play. Mason Crosby getting another field goal block at the end of the first half. That's a swing play. Giving up two huge kick returns in the game, including one out to midfield that set up the other field goal, their first points of the game. That's a big thing. A special teams performance that was so poor that by DVOA standards, I mentioned this on another show, 
was the single worst individual game performance of the entire season for any special teams unit. And I see that and I go, that doesn't, hmm, call me crazy. That doesn't have a lot to do with the quarterback position. And I feel pretty comfortable saying if the Packers just punt and get a stop and then win the game 10 to three, what we're saying after that game has nothing to do with elite quarterbacking. And this is a separator between a player like Rodgers and a player like Brady. And we're just going, Rodgers understood what the game was and he didn't turn the ball over. And that's a huge feather in his cap. And that's what winners do. You understand what I'm getting at here? Now, I've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating as we talk about what elite quarterbacks, how they play, and they never do stuff like this in the playoffs. It bears repeating as we understand football as a team sport. A Tom Brady quarterback team has won three different playoff games that Brady himself has thrown three interceptions in, twice against the San Diego Chargers and once against Green Bay, three different times. Now, there's one other game that I want to highlight. We talk about the idea of what elite quarterbacks do and do not do in the playoffs. It's another AFC title game. This one was in January of 2012. Uh, the Patriots were hosting the Baltimore Ravens at this time. Rave, or the Patriots, they're favored by a touchdown. And it's a squeaker of a game. Patriots end up winning by three points, 23-20. Now, Tom Brady in this game is 22 for 36 for 239 yards, zero touchdowns, and two interceptions. Now, that's a very, very uh, somewhat familiar of a stat line. Faintly reminiscent is what I would say, only with two more interceptions. As we look at that line, 22 for 36, 239 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. We look at Rodgers' most recent playoff game, and I go, that's pretty similar. 20 for 29, 225 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Hmm, okay. Faintly reminiscent. However, there's a difference when it comes to team because the Patriots win this game by three and the Packers lost their game by three. Now, there are two plays in particular that I'd really like to point out as plays that swung who won and who lost this game. Baltimore has the ball. They're down three. There's 27 seconds to go. They're driving and Joe Flacco throws a ball to Lee Evans, wide receiver at the time for the Ravens, in the end zone, catches it, looks like a touchdown. But he's just kind of careless with the ball. He doesn't really go about securing it in a way that a normal wide receiver would. And he takes a step and then has it hit out by a defender. I remember watching this at home. I had the Patriots money line. And I was freaking out about it because I thought it was a touchdown. And instead... Just a sliver, a half second of difference between a touchdown and a touchdown, or just Lee Evans a little bit more secure with the ball, and it's a touchdown. And the Ravens are up by four points with 20-some-odd seconds to go. Instead, it's out. Ravens have a third and one. They throw to Dennis Pitta. Don't get it. Okay, it's fine. We'll go to overtime. They send in Billy Cundiff to kick a 32-yard field goal to force overtime. This is with 15 seconds to go on the clock now. And Billy Cundiff misses a field goal that would have sent the game to overtime. Where there's all sorts of stuff in play. First and foremost, that coin toss, the most random thing that somehow has a say in who wins an NFL playoff game. Billy Cundiff misses a 32-yard field goal that will force overtime. So Lee Evans has a touchdown, then drops it. Billy Cundiff has a 32-yard field goal to force overtime, misses it. Now, just for reference, to show how 
improbable just that field goal in particular is. I went and looked back at the kicking stats from the 2021 season. Now, this is from 30 to 39 yards. So again, we're talking about the lowest end of that spectrum, 32 yards. But just for reference, in the 2021 season, from 30 to 39 yards, NFL field goal kickers went 281 for 302. That's a 93% hit rate. Now, if you're just talking about 32 yards or shorter, you could probably bump that up a percentage point or two. My guess is you're probably getting to about 95%. So 19 out of every 20 kicks from that range is just going in. And instead, Billy Cundiff misses. And the New England Patriots are going to the Super Bowl. Quick aside, as we talk about elite quarterbacks and what they do and do not do, how you can will your team to victory, which none of this stuff has anything to do with Tom Brady. Lee Evans dropping a ball, Billy Cundiff missing a field goal. As we look at those 2021 kicking stats, and we remember that Niners-Packers game, there's 21 total misses from this range, 30 to 39 in the NFL last year, or this year, I guess, this season, sorry. And Mason Crosby, the kicker for the Green Bay Packers, accounts for four of those 21 misses. Just another reminder that we don't necessarily need of Green Bay special teams. How atrocious they were, and how ultimately they were the demise of the Packers this season, and how ultimately that blame is then transferred onto the position that we most like to talk about quarterback. So back to the Ravens and the Patriots. In a game that by any judgment, whether that's statistical, as I'm going back over these stats, or whether by the eye test, which I remember watching this game at the time and thinking, as I have money on the Patriots and I need them to win, by any judgment, Tom Brady did not play well in this game. He just didn't. And New England still advances to the Super Bowl. Because of plays like this, because Billy Cundiff misses a field goal, because Lee Evans drops a touchdown. This is the kind of stuff that occurs inside of a sport that encompasses a lot of things. Remember, team sport, team sport, team sport. Now, I would ask everybody to approach this question honestly. As I ask, what is the difference between this game, this Baltimore Ravens, New England Patriots game, and the recent Packers, Niners playoff game? Strictly from a quarterbacking standpoint, I would ask, what is the difference? And I would hazard to say there's really, if there's a difference, it's that Rodgers didn't turn the ball over. Strictly from a quarterbacking standpoint. And yet, we know what occurred from a team perspective. And because of that, the narratives coming out of both of these are truly astounding in how disconnected they are from elite individual performance. You would never hear somebody after that game go, elite quarterbacks never play like Tom Brady did. You didn't hear that because Tom Brady already had three Super Bowls to his name. And everybody said, oh, this is just another example of a winning quarterback. This is how winners put their stamp on the game. They throw for 230 yards and two picks. And the Packers lose to the Niners, and everybody says, this is just the great failing of Aaron Rodgers as a quarterback who only has one Super Bowl to his name, despite the fact that he's going to win a bunch of regular season MVPs, because he's not good enough, and he threw for 230 yards and no touchdowns and no picks, and was pressured 
endlessly. And this is why the Packers lose. Now, every elite quarterback has a litany of poor performances, especially relative to themselves, because you're playing the best defenses with the most specific, tailored game plans. In the playoffs, I could do this for days. I promise you I could. I could do this for weeks. I could do this for years with any quarterback because it's a topic of great fascination for me and consternation in in the case of Aaron Rodgers. But I could do this for endless amounts of time with pick your quarterback of choice, Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or Drew Brees or Brett Favre or John Elway or Dan Marino or Joe Montana or Steve Young. Just pick anybody that I have been able to watch their career, and I could go down the list and talk about how elite quarterbacks play in the playoffs. And sometimes they're awesome and phenomenal, and they're the reason their team wins. Sometimes they're atrocious, and they may be the reason their team loses. Many times they're somewhere in between those two things, and what decides it? What is the separation when it comes to narrative and perception about almost all of these players? In, let's say, 90% of all instances, what does it come down to? It comes down to situation. It comes down to football as a team sport. So in 90% of these games, in the middle, comes down to questions like, did your defense back you up? Did your coach produce a masterful game plan? Was he capable of doing that in the playoffs? Or did he just soil in his own trousers? Did your special team swing the game positively or negatively? Did your receiver catch the ball? Did your running back fumble at the wrong time? And if he did, who recovered it? Did your offensive line block for you? I mean, I could go on and on and on about the ways that football games are decided. And through this incredibly strange warped process, we arrive at a destination where answers to those questions that I just asked are the reason that we believe one quarterback is elite and the reason that his team won and one quarterback is not and is the reason that his team lost. So this leads us into the Super Bowl on Sunday. I'm I'm fired up for it. It's the final football game of the season. When it's done, I'm probably just going to weep and cry until I can go play golf and then I'll be happy again. And then I'll wait six more months and football will be back. (laughs) But we have one football game left. And as I go full circle on this show, there's one quarterback in particular that has a lot riding on this from a perception and narrative standpoint. It's Matt Stafford. It's the guy who has been floating in football purgatory for a decade plus and is now center spotlight. And it's really interesting to... Watch the way that he is talked about now compared to how he was talked about before and just really be able to understand, yeah, situation is everything and football is a team game because Matt Stafford is currently showing everything he was with the Lions. He's an immense talent. His arm is pretty high up in the history of football as far as what he can do with it. And he's also a risk taker. Sometimes that burns him in the ass and it burns his team. And that was a lot more magnified on the Lions because that's a bad organization and they did not give him virtually anything. And now we're seeing Stafford be celebrated for being a good quarterback and rightfully so because 
those risks, they look a lot better or sometimes completely mitigated. When you have Sean McVay, the game planner, you have that offensive line amongst the best in football this year. You have Cooper Cup and Odo Beckham and Robert Woods before his injury. And that defense with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey backing you up looks a lot better rather than everything the Detroit Lions, a complete dumpster fire of an organization, gave him for over a decade. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. Reminder, subscribe, download, rate and review. Please, thank you. Enjoy the Super Bowl. I'll be back next week to talk about it. Peace.